If you've got your copy of God's Word, if you would take it and turn to the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 21. While you're turning there and while they're taking their seats, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you again for this Christmas season. Lord, we thank you for all of the great uh, Christmas music that we've heard this morning. And Lord, I pray that as we continue through this season that we would just anticipate more and more and more uh, the day we celebrate your birth. And Lord, I pray that as we look forward to the day we celebrate your birth, I pray that we would also look forward to the day you've promised that you'll come again. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to live lives uh, worthy of the gospel and live lives uh, that will be found ready and waiting when you get back. And so, Father, I pray during this next time together that you would feed your people. And I pray that you would use me to do it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in Luke chapter 2. And uh, in Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 21. We're going to get to eventually uh, talking about a young man or an older man named Simeon. And I want you to uh, just kind of recall to your memory the things that have happened in the book of Luke so far. So far in Luke, you have uh, Zacharias, who is, uh, he and his wife Elizabeth are going to have John the Baptist. You have the angels have come to the shepherds, and Jesus has been born. You have the angels that, uh, or the, you have the... Uh, the, the conception of, of Jesus when the angels made that known also with Joseph. And so all of these things have been going on in the nine months leading up to this point. But by this point, when we pick up in Luke chapter 2, uh, the baby Jesus has already been born. And now it's eight days later. And so Mary and Joseph are bringing uh, Jesus to be presented in the temple. And I want you just to think about the political landscape that's going on at this time. Uh, this would have been a very difficult time to have a child. Uh, the political landscape then was probably worse than the political landscape now. You figure back in this day, you have all of these people living in Israel, but Israel is occupied by the Romans, and so the Romans are ruling, and the Jews kind of have their patsy ruler, if you will. And so it's a very, very tough time, and Herod has just sent, or Caesar has just sent all of the people back to their hometown to register for a census. And so there's people commuting all over the place within the land of Israel, and this is the time that God chooses for his son to be brought into the world. And so I want you to see that this is, uh, this is not a, a perfect Christmas story by any stretch of the imagination. These are difficult times that the people are living in. You figure she's great with child and now she's got to go from where she's living to her hometown. And so any of you have a wife that was nine months pregnant that you really wanted to take anywhere that she didn't want to go, especially on donkey back. Anybody, so you guys can kind of relate to, to how this story is progressing. Um, the only benefit to this story is that at least it's chilly out where they are and you, they don't have a lady that's nine months pregnant in the middle of the summer because that's worse. And so here you have Mary. She's nine months pregnant. She's gone to their hometown so that they can register. She's had a child. They've registered and now they're going to go to Jerusalem so they can present the child uh, before the Lord. And we pick up in Luke chapter 2 verse 21. It says, when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus. And so they've had the baby and they've named him Jesus. And this baby who has the name of Jesus, this name Jesus is given to him by God. And Jesus uh, literally means the Lord is salvation or deliverer from sin. And so you have this child who's born with a name, the Lord is salvation or deliverer from sin. And it's the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. 
Verse 22. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so what I want you to see leading up to this story is that Mary and Joseph, Jesus's parents, are poor. Okay, they're going to offer a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons as opposed to offering a lamb or a goat to consecrate the firstborn. And so they don't have a lot of means to give anything big. So they give the minimal offering that's required of the Lord. Also, this eight days after the child is born, when they're going to bring him to the temple, how many of you wanted to take another trip by donkey back with your eight day old child to take him to the temple To give him to somebody to present him to the Lord. And so I'm bringing all of this up to show you that these are not easy things that the people are walking through. These are difficult things that the Lord has required and they're not convenient. Okay? It's not that you just drive through uh, the doctor and you take the child home. This is you make a journey to the temple, you present your child to the Lord, and you're doing all of these things out of an overflow of love for the Lord because you want to obey his commandments. And so... Mary and Joseph are doing just that. They're obeying the Lord, even when it's not convenient, and they're doing the things the Lord has called them to do. Now you get to verse 25. And it says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And I want you to see this man who they're talking about named Simeon. And so Mary and Joseph, they bring the child to the temple, and they find a man at the temple whose name is Simeon. And this man is characterized in the scripture by being righteous. And so righteousness, if you were to look up a definition of what it means to be righteous, it would be holy and upright living in accordance with God's standard. It comes from a root word, straightness. And so someone who is holy means, or excuse me, someone who is righteousness means that they're living a holy and upright life. And it means that God has pulled a string or God has made a standard and that person's life is right in line with that standard. And so this is a solid guy that they're going to meet. He is righteous. And this guy named Simeon isn't just someone who has died, right? Simeon is very much alive. But I want you to think about, and this is one of the biggest lies that is told in our culture. This lie that's told in our culture is that we're all good people, right? That's something that if you were to watch the news, that would be something that you gathered that we're all good people, right? That's what, that's what we all have in common, that all of humanity is, is good and we're just good people. No, we're not good people. That's like one of the biggest lies that the culture could tell you. The Bible says that all of us have a heart that's deceitfully wicked above all things. And that nobody can know the depths of our heart. And so all this is going to tie together. Just hang on for a minute. Some of you look puzzled, but just hang on for a minute. And so they run into this guy named Simeon, and he's righteous. He's not just somebody who's died, and everybody's at their funeral, and everybody talks about how great of a person he was, right? Because everybody, when they die, automatically becomes righteous and devout and a good person, right? You with me? You all notice that? That that's in our culture? Listen, you guys were awake for the singing. You have to at least wake up, at least for a little while. As much bacon as I ate, I can't go past quarter till. And so you should at least be excited. So here we go. And so Simeon is righteous and he's living his life holy and upright in accordance with God's word. And then it also says that this Simeon was devout. And so he is not just righteous. He's not just living his life according to God's standard, but he's devout. And if you looked up devout, you would find that this guy is earnest 
And he's devoted to divine service or worship. And so he is, he is everything that we are supposed to do. And so how is it that this Simeon, before Christ, is considered righteous? Right? What is it about Simeon that makes him righteous? If you were to go back maybe two pages and you were to, uh, and you were to look, uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm getting all out of, out of whack here. If you were to go to the book of Romans, and I don't want you to go there, but Romans chapter 4 verse 3 that says, Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so you have Simeon, who's a righteous man, and he's devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And you have Abraham, who believed in God, and it's credited to him as righteousness. And so in order to be righteous, you need to be someone who has put their faith in God. And when you put your faith in God, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that righteousness is imputed to you. And so you are given righteousness because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And so this Simeon is made righteous by God because he's looking forward to the coming Messiah. And he's also righteous because he's holding to God's standard. And so there's two different things that's making this guy righteous. There's the righteousness that God gives him. And then his life and living it in adherence with God's commands is making him righteous also. And so he's righteous. He's devout. And listen to what it says that he's doing. He's looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. So what does it mean to be looking for the consolation of Israel? Well, it means that this Simeon is looking forward to the Messiah. He's waiting for the Messiah to come, and he's earnestly waiting for the Messiah to come. And so now, if you'll go back a couple pages, there's another guy who is very similar to that. If you were to go to Mark chapter 15, in Mark chapter 15, you run across a guy. This is after Jesus' death. Mark chapter 15, verse 43. The person we run across is Joseph of Arimathea. It says, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who listened to him, listened to how he's described, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he gathered up courage and went before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And so you have, in the beginning of Jesus' life, actually even before Jesus was born, you have a guy named Simeon who's looking forward to the consolation of Israel. This guy Simeon is waiting for the Messiah to come. The Messiah comes, he lives his life. And you have this guy named Joseph of Arimathea, and he's characterized as waiting for the kingdom of God. And you can't have a kingdom without a king, okay? And you can't have the consolation of Israel without a Messiah. And so you have these people who are considered righteous, they're considered devout, and the characteristic that they have in common is that they're looking forward to the consolation of Israel. They're eagerly awaiting this Messiah. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know that our only hope as Christians, is that we eagerly await the return of our Messiah. Our world is actively falling apart around us. And you guys know that uh, I try to be as as little political as possible. But Ron, if you could take and you could, you could put that picture up there, this newspaper uh, headline hits the news this week. And so there's a shooting out in California, right? And there's senators. There's four senators on the screen that you can, you probably can't read them from where you are, but Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Paul Ryan, and Lindsey Graham. Not advocating anybody to you right now, but I'm saying that these four guys, they offer out tweets, right? If you're not familiar, Twitter is a place where you can, you can send messages out to the world. Uh, the CIA sends out notes by this service, and your grandchildren send out notes by this service. Doesn't make much sense, I know, but that's where the world is. And so these senators, And politicians, they send out these tweets that say, our thoughts and prayers are with you in California. And the news 
this is the Daily News from New York. The New York Daily News prints an article that says God isn't fixing this. Essentially saying your thoughts and your prayers are worthless. What you should be doing is you should be passing gun laws so that this never happens again. Now, I know we're in the South and I know that we all have guns and that's not popular to us. But despite all of that, gun laws and laws don't fix the mass shooting problems. Just want to talk very briefly about a high point in the news. And so these guys come in and they shoot, right? They shoot up a group of 14 people or 15 people, whatever the numbers are at. And then they go to these individuals' houses and they find all sorts of bombs in their houses. And so, okay, let's outlaw all guns. And now they have a stockpile of pipe bombs. Do we outlaw pipes and everything else too? Do we outlaw every single material that it takes to be evil? What I want you to see is that, Simeon, you can, you can drop it now, Ron. You've got, our world is in a mess. Their world was in a mess. Caesar's doing whatever Caesar wants to do. Pontius Pilate's doing whatever Pontius Pilate wants to do. We live in a world where terrorists are doing whatever terrorists want to do. And I want you to see that Simeon's hope, despite all of that political landscape, his hope was in the Lord. And day after day after day, Simeon goes to the temple because he's waiting on the Lord to come. And what I want to tell you is that, listen to me very carefully, it makes sense sometimes when we get criticized for our prayers being no good, when our lives don't match up with the things that we're praying. Like we need to be a Christian people whose lives are consistent, where we're actively awaiting the coming of our Messiah and we're living out godly and Christian principles every day of our life, not just when it's convenient. Not just when 15 people get shot do we say we're praying for people and looking for things. Because if we're doing whatever we want to do during the week and during the year and in our life, And then when things get bad, we choose to follow God. It looks like we're crazy and the world has a right to criticize us. But we need to be a people who are consistent in our faith, who are actively sharing the gospel, who are actively living out the gospel, loving our neighbor and doing the other commands of Christ so that when big things like this happen and we pray for someone, it's a natural response and it doesn't look like it's out of the blue. And we don't look like we just use our God as a genie and we rub the lamp whenever we want something. And so, brothers and sisters, the world needs to know that our hope is in Christ. And if you keep going in Luke chapter 2, you get to verse 26. And it says that Simeon, this is of Simeon, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so you have this old man, presumably, and he's righteous and he's devout. And what does he care about? He cares about the consolation of Israel. He cares about the Messiah and the Holy Spirit's upon him. And so you have this guy who is very, very, very heavenly minded in the midst of a culture that's falling apart around him. And in the midst of that, as he's holy and devout, in the midst of a culture falling apart, it's then that the Lord reveals to him through the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so in a world that didn't make any sense, in a world where everything's fallen apart, you have this man, holy and devout. And it's in all of that chaos 
that God reveals to him that he's not going to die before he sees the Lord's servant, before he sees the Lord's Christ. And then it says in verse 27, and he, that's Simeon, and Simeon came in the spirit into the temple. And so this Simeon, amidst this landscape, is walking in the spirit. He's waking up each day, and he's holy and he's devout, and he's living his life like each day matters serving the Lord. Looking forward to something. He's not just waking up and going through the same monotony that he goes through every day. But every day is purposeful. And he's walking in the Spirit. And it says that he came in the Spirit to the temple. Verse 27. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. Then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said. Now Lord... You are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And so what's going on here is you have this, this man who's righteous and he's devout. And he's following the Lord. He's walking in the Spirit. And he gets to see the thing that he's been looking forward to all of his life. And so here you have a man who's godly, and listen to this, he has a goal for his life. And his goal is that he could see the Christ child. And the Lord reveals to him that you're going to get to see the Christ child before you die. And so when he gets to see the Christ child, he realizes that everything he's ever wanted has been accomplished. And let me ask you the same question that was asked me of our students. I told you before we were playing this icebreaker game in our church youth group. And the question is, what is a goal you have for your life? Okay, goals are easy to come up with. Some of us want things. So we want second homes and we want boats and we want four-wheelers and we want new trucks. And all of those things in and of themselves are not bad. But what is, what is your spiritual goal for your life? What is it that you want to accomplish spiritually before the Lord calls you home? And I sat there as the student's pastor and thought, well, gee, Wally, I don't know. I don't, I don't have any idea of what my ultimate spiritual goal was. And so ever since then, I've been trying to come up with one. But I want to present the same thing to you. As you pray to the Lord and as your hope is in the Lord, what is it that you're hoping for? And how big is it? We've been walking through the book of Matthew leading up to this. And in the book of Matthew, God gives us as believers a blank check. Anything you ask for in my name, I'll give you. And so each of us here, we all should be setting goals that are through the roof. We should be setting God-sized goals, spiritual goals that we can only accomplish with the Lord's help. And my downfall in making a goal is I'm scared that whatever goal I make would be too small. Like, I'm afraid to for God to give me a blank check, and I make it out for $10, and he's got millions of dollars in the account. Like, you following me? And so, what I want you to think about, like, not just listen to a sermon, but like, right now, I want you to think about, what is our hope in? Like, we all, hopefully, are hoping in Christ, but what is it 
specifically that we're hoping for in Christ? What are we waking up each morning and actively working towards? Because Simeon's righteous and devout, and each morning he's waking up and he's going to the temple because the Lord has told him that he's going to get the Christ child. So Simeon's praying, Lord, I want to see the consolation of Israel. I want to see the Messiah. And the Lord says, you're going to see the Messiah before you die. And so this guy actively goes to the temple each morning, eagerly awaiting the promise that God said is going to be fulfilled. And so what is it in my life and what is it in your life that you're actively praying towards and you're taking steps each day expecting the Lord to bring about? We all want family members to be saved, right? I hope that we do. I'm going to take your stillness as a resounding yes, okay? What are we doing to reach our family members for Christ? Where are we praying for our family members to come to know Christ? We want God back in schools. We want prayer in schools. And we want all of these other big things. What are we actively doing to get these things to take place? I wonder, I wonder if sometimes the Lord hasn't already given us certain things, but our stillness and our lack of trusting that he's already done what we asked him cripples us from seeing those things take place. Because just think through our lives, not your life, all of our lives. What are we praying for? What is our hope in? And how are we actively living our lives expecting that to come true because we prayed for it? Because the world, as you saw on the screen, thinks we're crazy and wasting our time for praying. And if you would have read some of the comments online that people were making about people who pray, it was appalling the things that they were saying. And so here you have this guy named Simeon, and he's, he's living in a culture that's, that's falling apart. He's righteous. He's devout. He's looking forward to the consolation of Israel. He's daily going to the temple, and then he finally gets what he wants. And when he finally gets what he's been looking for... And keeping in mind that what he's looking for is a godly thing and a good thing to be praying for. And so it's not like, I want my wife to buy me a Ferrari for Christmas. Oh, I got the Ferrari now. Now I can depart in peace. It's nothing like that. He wants to see the Lord. And so he gets to see the Lord. And now it's like he can rest. And he can say, Lord, now your servant can depart in peace. So what are you praying for? What are you hoping for this Christmas season? That if and when you got it, you could say, Lord, now you're releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. I hope it's something big. I hope it's something big that you're praying towards. That if you get to see this in your lifetime, then you will have lived a good life. And then he says, he goes on. And he says, now you can release your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And he talks about who Christ is. And this is a prophecy. He's a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And so all of the people Israel that, that this Simeon got to see, he's the glory of the people Israel. He is it. He is everything that the history of Israel has been pointing to. He is the glory. He's the image of every single thing good about Israel. It's Jesus. He's come on the scene. And this Jesus is also a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Now, we live in a society that has electricity, which we're very grateful for. We live in a society where it's never dark where you are, 
right? Whenever it's dark, you pull out your cell phone, you push a button, and everybody now has a flashlight in their pocket. Some of you had no idea you had a flashlight on your cell phone. And so it was worth it just for that to know that you have one. But unless you live, uh, we do have people from Askeville. It gets dark out there uh, in the country. But we have porch lights. We have street lights. You have lights on your car. And so you're very seldom outside and it's pitch black. If it was pitch black, like if there was no light anywhere, and I lit one of those candles, every single one of you in the room, despite it being pitch black and dark, would be able to see me from that one small light. And so the prophecy that Simeon has been looking forward to seeing is that the whole world is dark and the whole world is without hope. And this little child that he's holding is a light to the world so that they can know about the hope of Christ. They can know about this child whose name is the Lord is salvation and whose name is deliverer from sin because his hope, Simeon's, isn't just that he gets to hold the baby. Like People volunteer for the nursery just so they can hold babies. Right? That's not the end goal of Simeon here. The end goal of Simeon here is not just that he holds the child, but that he holds the one who's going to deliver the world from sin. And that's what he wants to see. He's not just consumed with seeing a baby. Right? He doesn't just have a wife who wants to pinch a chunky baby's legs. This isn't what's going on. He knows that the world is lost and without a savior, the whole world is going to hell. And so he's excited that this savior has been brought and he's lived long enough so that he could see it. And he knows that there is hope for the world because of this baby. And I hope that your hope is in Christ. And I hope that your hope is that everybody you know give their life to Christ and be forgiven of their sin and get all of the blessings that come along with knowing Christ. And so if you're here and you've never put your faith in this child who was born, whose name is deliverer from sin, he's the son of God and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross and he died a death that you and I deserve. And he didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead so that you and I could have eternal life. And that's the hope that Simeon was looking forward to. And I want us to be a people who have a common goal also with our lives. And that we want to look forward to the Lord doing something huge amongst us. And when it happens, we can put our finger on it and we can say, okay, Lord, thank you. Now we can depart in peace. And so what I want to do is I want to close this in prayer. And then I want to take a minute after I close this in prayer to share with you one of the things that we're going to do as a church together, hopefully, so that we can serve the community during this Christmas season and be the hands and feet of Christ in the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that's found only in him. Lord, we thank you for this man named Simeon who is righteous and devout and looking for the consolation of Israel. Lord, I pray that we would be a people also that in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of a absolute massacre, that we would be a people who put our faith even more in Christ. Lord, we never profess to understand why you allow certain things to happen, but Lord, you tell us in the scriptures that these things are going to happen and they're even going to get worse as the end of days comes. And so, Lord, we thank you that none of these things surprise us. But Lord, I pray that you would be with their families now. 
Lord, I pray that you would bring them peace and comfort. Lord, I pray that you would bring someone who's a Christ follower into their lives to give them hope in the midst of this tragedy. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who's never put their hope in Jesus Christ, I pray that during this Christmas season, uh, that this would be the time that they would do it. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to share one thing with you that's, uh, that was an insert in your bulletin. And then we're going to have our song of invitation. If you'll take the insert of your bulletin, uh, each year... For the past two years, this will be our third year doing it, we've had a Christmas meal for the community. Uh, and this isn't just a giant potluck dinner, but this is a, a specific time where we target a particular group of people so that we as a church can serve them and we can be the hands and feet of Christ to someone in our community. And so what we did last year is we served uh, as a church 400 meals at the uh, food pantry in town. And so there's a food pantry right near the YMCA and we prepared 400 meals here at the church and we took those meals to the food pantry and as people were coming through on Saturday afternoon, we gave each family that came through a right number of to-go meals for their whole family so that the family could have a good Christmas meal. Now, whenever we talk about Christmas meals and we talk about serving the community, there's always uh, the question as to Uh, There are people in the community who do receive assistance for things exactly like we're going to do. And and we recognize that. And there are people who take advantage of each system that's out there. And we recognize that as well. And so what we're doing this year is we're not going to serve 400 meals. We're going to serve about 200 meals. Now, there's a... Uh, I don't want to call it a policy or a system, but there's a program in place at some of our elementary schools. At some of our elementary schools, uh, the kids go to school Monday through Friday, and then on Friday, the kids get sent home with a backpack, like a special backpack that has food in it. And the reason that some of these kids get sent home with food and backpacks is because the kids are not eating over the weekend. And you can ask many of our elementary school teachers that when these kids get to school on Monday morning, they're excited to get to school because they get to eat breakfast at school. Now, if you're like me, I thought, why are we serving free breakfast and free lunch and other things? Listen, this was naive and I get it, but just hear me out. Why are we doing all these things when we already have programs in place for these kids to eat? And we do. We have programs in place so that nobody in America is hungry. But the problem is, is that these kids are not eating regardless of what programs are out there. And so they get sent home with a book bag so that they don't starve over the weekend. And so what we're going to do is that we have been able to get a list of kids who we can serve, who it's okay with the school if we serve them. And we're going to prepare meals here at the school. And we're going to deliver meals in the county where these kids live to their homes. And we're going to take a right number of meals to the home for everybody in the home. And that's the plan. And when we go and we take these meals to the kids who are part of this program, we can take a Bible, we can pray with the family, we can say or do anything we want to do while we're in the house. But what we want to do is we want to give them a good Christmas meal. And we don't care about any other program. We don't care about any other assistance. What we want to do is for one meal during the year, we want to say, this one's on us. And we're doing this for you out of an overflow of the love that God has for us. And so in order to do that, we need help from all of you. And so if you go over into the fellowship hall, which is that building uh, right under the breezeway over there, there's a sign-up sheet. And this year we're going to need 14 turkeys, 12 pans of dressing, and all of that is laid out on the sheet. But listen, 
the bottom line is that I don't just want you to volunteer to cook something. Like if you volunteer to cook something, I'm grateful and it's a big help. But that's an entry-level thing for what I'm asking here. The main thing that I need from you is I need you to volunteer to take a meal to someone's house. I need at least 10 vehicles. This is under volunteers at the very bottom of the front of the page. We need at least 10 vehicles full of people who can deliver meals for us. Now, one of the things that we as an American church do well, listen to me, we write checks, right? It's easy for us to give money. You have a problem? How much is it going to cost to fix your problem? That's not what we want to do here. Right? We're not looking for tons of money and donations. What, what I'm looking for is your pastor. Is for, and I even put it down here. If you come, alright. Is anybody else's front and back? How do I get the one that's not front and back? Good. Well, that's good. All of you have all of the information. What I put on the back of the, uh, on the volunteers is that it's at max a two hour time commitment if you'll serve as a volunteer. And this is two hours during the Christmas season. And I want you to forget about how the world should be. And I want you to look at the world for how it really is. And I want you to volunteer and come and deliver some of these meals, being the hands and feet of Christ, going to these houses and telling these kids and these parents, I love you and I care about you and I have this meal to prove it. And then we can send them a letter from our church Telling them the gospel. Telling them that we care about them. Telling them why we're doing what we're doing. And we can also take them any sort of Bible or any sort of other literature that we want to do. And the purpose of this is not to make our church larger, right? We would love for all of those people, for all of those 200 meals, to equal 200 visitors the next Sunday. Like, that would be an awesome thing to happen. That's not why we're doing this at all. If no one shows up at our church, ever, because we do this... The purpose of this isn't just to give them a meal, but the purpose is to give you an opportunity to be Christ in the world as a body. Because one of the things that we as the American church lack is coming together and doing one thing together and doing it well in unity. And this is a great time for us to do that. And so what I want you to do is I want you to please read through this handout. Read the things that we need. Cook us, cook us food, please, and then volunteer to help us get it where it needs to go. We only need a few people in the kitchen, right? Don't everybody show up and work in the kitchen, please. Like, we need five good people tops to work with Ed in the kitchen, okay? And once the sign-up sheet is full, please don't sign up any more than that to work in the kitchen. The main thing that we need is we need hands and feet that are willing to get dirty for Christ. And I'm only asking for two hours. And so please be a part of, of the things we're doing here. I think this would be a fantastic thing uh, for us to pull off and to pull off really well. And so on top of the kids that we're going to serve in the backpack program, if any of you work out in the county and you know of anyone who could use a Christmas meal, we have prepared some extra ones so that some of you who are teachers who I haven't spoken to yet, if you have some children that you know of in the area whose families could use food, we have got enough meals prepared so that we can deliver them there as well. If you'll just call me and give me their addresses or come see me, uh, we'll make sure that they get on the list as well.
So in closing, please make this a priority this Christmas. It's a great thing for you to give Christ for Christmas. Also, um, as before we sing our hymn of invitation, stick around afterwards, after this service, if you're interested, right here. And we're going to have a few deacons on hand if you have any questions about the budget before you're asked to vote on it next week. If you guys will come on, we'll sing our hymn of invitation. If you'd like to respond to anything, uh, the Lord stirred your heart in the sermon. You want to come down front. You want to pray. You don't have to pray with me. Or if you've never been saved and you want to be saved, I would love to lead you to the Lord. So if you'll stand for a hymn of invitation, uh, this song of invitation matches up uh, with the sermon. It's, it's hymn number 404, and it's, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So you guys stand with us as John leads us. Well, it's a pleasure worshiping the Lord with you all today. I hope that uh, we'll continue to look more and more uh, forward to Christ and to Christmas. Any budget questions uh, here coming up soon after you're dismissed. And then don't forget our sign-up sheet over in the fellowship hall to sign up uh, for anything that you can help with. I'm going to ask Alan Castello if you would close us in prayer.